What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? You are tuned in to the newest edition of the Fistful of Cash podcast. As always, I am your host, Dale Lippin. Got a special guest for you today because Soup is super tired. Uh, rush week was last week, and he rushed Alpha Delta Pi, so he's really tired. Uh, he's learning all the chants and all the little handshakes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, really kicking it with his sorority sisters and having a great time. Uh, one of the things that's really going to increase his time on campus is Stay Classy Meats. Guys, go to stayclassymeats.com, use promo code FIST, get 10% off your entire order. And if you set it up in a subscription-style basis, that 10% will be applied to each and every order as often as you need the meat delivered to your house. Fresh, ranch-to-table meat, no GMO, no hormone, no antibiotic, legacy pork, just free-range bison. It's fantastic, great quality meat, uh, and it's similar in quality to the amount of meat soup's going to be getting now that he's a sorority sister. But outside of that, uh, you know, guys, I got a great, great show for you lined up and I've brought, uh, you know, I, I'm, it's not little brother because I feel like <laughs> seeing you, you're probably bigger than me. Um, at least height wise anyway, but I brought the man himself. You guys have been seeing me promo him on the podcast and the Instagram for a long time now. I brought in Trey from Proper Punches to come in and talk about UFC Abu Dhabi with us this weekend. Uh, and I'm pretty pumped. Trey, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm pumped to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm a fistful of cash family member. At least I feel that way. I'm excited <laughs> for this card. I'm a uh, I'm a little bit deterred by you thinking I'm smaller than you. I feel like we might need to throw down, put some odds on that. But regardless, let's let's get into this card. I'm excited. Well, here's the thing, right? I'm all for that as long as we uh, we just as long as we just throw hands because I know <laughs> that you, you got that BJJ life, and uh, I want no part of that. My ankles, elbows, knees, and just about every other joint that moves on my body is not prepared for such a thing. Uh, you know, but if you want to stand, I feel like. I feel like you you say BJJ, and we've got a lot of BJJ guys on this card, but you're going to be interested with my take and association to those guys because, let's be honest, I mean, BJJ is one thing, but striking is another, and you guys have had some awesome takes and association to some striking, so, I'm again, I'm excited for this card. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. All right, guys, so the purpose-built stadium is being used yet again. We are ready to rock and roll. UFC 242 takes place this weekend. Main event needs no introduction, Khabib versus Poirier, but there's some intriguing matches on this card. Uh, as always, we're going to cover the main card, and then prelims and early prelims will be available on the Instagram day of fight. But let's get into this main card. First fight of the evening, Diego Ferreira taking on Mirbeck, Tysimov, Tysimov, Trey sitting at 27-5. and five. Ferreira's on a roll right now, sitting at 15 and two, I, I'm big, I'm high up on this guy right now. However, he is the underdog. Ferreira sitting at plus 225. Tysimov sitting at minus 265. Uh, you know, basically the beginning of the Islam invasion as far as this Abu Dhabi card goes. What are your thoughts leading into this fight, man? Because I've, uh, I've got some hot takes. You know, it's exactly what we were just talking about, Dale, and the fact that BJJ sometimes can win, but Merbeck, he's got amazing wrestling and he's a judo king. So really for me, what this is going to come down to is can it be taken down to the ground? You know, Ferrer is an absolute wizard on the ground. And, you know, it's actually funny is this is a great fight to start off the card because if you reach way back into 2015, Ferrer actually fought Dustin Poirier and lost yeah. by punches in the first round. So you know, it's kind of a ode to what's obviously our main fight of the night, but 
you know, taking Mara back down and bring him to the ground, that's going to be a tough feat for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, my my biggest thing that I think is going to probably play the difference in this fight uh, is I think that Ferreira is going to be at least as far as physically goes, uh, physicality goes. I think he's going to be the bigger fighter. Uh, so can he impose that physicality on Tysimov? Um The one thing that normally would deter me, if you will, when it comes to uh, taking a guy like Tysimov is the amount of time that he's at off. It's coming up on a year since he last fought Des Green. And the thing is, is that, you know, looking back at the Nate Diaz fight, it goes to what Dominic Cruz has been saying for a year, that ring rust is a state of mind. It doesn't necessarily apply as a real, tangible, measurable component when it comes to fighting. And I am i don't necessarily think that Tysimov is going to be suspect to ring rust. Now, here's the thing, and we've seen this in cards before, um, when we have like a, a an Australian base card or a Polish base card or something like that, they tend to load the cards up with local talent, right? So if we're looking at this card uh, on Saturday, we've got a lot of guys that are in Khabib's camp that are or guys that associate with that. Uh, if if invasion is not the right word, but the the Muslim contingency within the UFC, right? But what we see in these cards is, is oftentimes whenever the lead horse goes down, the rest follow. So my concern with any of these guys is seeing who's going to win or lose as the night goes on. So I think that Merbek Tysimov's success is going to be directly tied to uh, Zubair Tukagov's success earlier in the night when he takes on Lerone Murphy. If Murphy were to win that fight, I think that the odds of Tysimov losing increased dramatically. And that compounds as the night goes further. If Ferreira pulls off the upset here against Tysimov, what does that mean for Islam Makachev? And then if Islam Makachev loses, what does that mean for Khabib going forward? Because these guys, while they exist individually within the cage, they're living together, live, you know, breathing together, working together every single day. So when the lead horse goes down, what does that mean moving forward? And I think that Ferreira is a live dog here at plus 225. He's got good submissions. He's got good knockouts. And really, uh, on top of the struggling, he's got the momentum. 15-2, and two, he's on a streak right now uh, with wins over Rustam Kabalov, who is great at wrestling, uh, Kyle Nelson, Jared Gordon, and OAM, uh, dating back to his last loss was against Poirier in 2015. So mm-hmm. you're talking about a guy who's lost in four years. Uh, I think he's a live dog against Tysimov, but Tysimov should win this fight at my at and at minus two twenty five. There's still money to be made there if you're a heavy better, but I, I I would I wouldn't fault anybody for taking Ferreira here. I think he's a live dog. I really do. So, I mean, let's go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I love that pick. I love everything about it. I love the domino effect ideology. I totally see that. How many times have we seen that in Brazilian cards where literally the first person on the prelims falls and then the rest of the card just completely gets decimated in association to the fighters correlate with that country? Happens all the time. And Ferreira, like you said, his actually his striking has increased significantly. He's improved in that category. And like we said at the beginning, if in fact he can take Maribek down, I mean, it's game over from there. So I, I like that pick as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to play Ferreira just because I think that the I think the odds um, 
I think actually, you know what? I think the odds makers have it right, but I just I believe there's a little bit of fight left, uh, a little bit more fight left in Ferreira uh, as far as what we what we've been seeing and what we could see. My only my only reservation. I might walk this back. I just said I was going to take him. I'm going to walk it back. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to take Tysimov. And the only reason why I'm saying I'm taking Tysimov is it's a long journey from Brazil to Abu Dhabi. And I don't know how long Ferreira has been there. Um, he's been pretty Instagram silent lately. So I don't know how long he's been in country. If he's just flying in country like Curtis Blades, who we're going to get into next, if he's just now flying into country, I'm concerned about that. Uh, you got to be there for a while. You got to acclimate to the food, the weather, the heat. Your body's got to get used to the lag, all of this stuff behind. You've got to get comfortable. Um, we saw years ago with the Kane Velasquez and Fabricio Verdum fight, Velasquez didn't believe that elevation was a problem if he just flew right in and fought, right? Remember that? He, Velasquez flew right into Mexico City yep. and then fought. He was there for a day, thought that the altitude mm-hmm. wouldn't affect him if he wasn't there for very long. That's horrible logic. That's not how science works. You know what I mean? That's not, that's no, not, exactly. That, that's exactly. not. That's not how science works. Um, and my concern is, I don't know when Ferreira got in country, and I also don't know, you know, what's going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tentatively take Tyson off here. I'll probably roll him into a parlay, and we'll talk about that later on. But unless you got anything else with this fight, I want to move on to the next fight: heavyweight tilt, Shamil Abdurakhimov taking on Curtis Blades. Blades sitting at eleven and two. Abdurakhimov sitting at twenty and four. Uh, Blades is a huge favorite here, and justifiably so. His wrestling tack has been top notch. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure if you've got anything as far as gleaning insights here, but Blades sitting at minus 485, Abdurakhimov sitting at plus 385. What do you think here? I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. It's super cut and dry. I mean, Curtis Blades, he's come in, I mean, he's 10 years younger. Um, when you have a knockout over Alistair Overeem, it puts you into a different category and let alone Alistair Overeem in Royd era. I mean, it's, it's Curtis blades all day long. Shamil, I mean, while, I mean, staple of sport been in for a long time, it's, you know, Curtis blades has improved significantly. We've seen him before his striking standing up it, while it's not at the level of, you know, any of the other top heavyweights, but his ground and pound, he started to open up and he's actually been able to use his elbows and actually kind of utilize reach and so forth. So I like Curtis Blades, his versatility that actually has been improved and, you know, coming in good shape, 10 years younger. I mean, cut and dry. Yeah, I, I think that it is. I don't want to look too far into it, but, you know, a couple things to look out for as far as this fight goes. You've got a guy like Abdur- or, um I'm sorry, Abdurakhmov that's on a little bit of a streak. TKO win over Marcin Tibera, win over Andre Arlovsky, win over Chase Sherman, and then he lost by TKO to Derek Lewis back in 2016. But if you remember correctly, he was winning that fight until Lewis rallied late uh, in the fourth round and was able to put him out. But that was... He was doing very well in that fight and was really extending Derek Lewis out and, you know, sort of taking him to deep water. But I, the wrestle heavy approach that we've seen from Curtis Blades, he is very suffocating. And I can, I just imagine that if I'm looking at Abdurakhimov's ability to win this fight, it's going to have to come from, you know, sort of a Josh Barnett style downward elbow. Uh, you know, Josh Barnett, Travis Brown, downward elbows while Curtis is trying to take him down or he's clipping him coming in. I don't see that if they're standing there, you know, exchanging, he's going to get the better of the exchanges because I don't think Curtis Blades is going to fight him like that. 
I think Curtis is going to, you know, use his jab, use feints, head movement, and get inside, press him against the cage, drag him down, and really approach his fight the same way that he did against Justin Willis. If he does anything other than that, it's poor, it's poor planning on his part. I really think that he should just go ahead and drag this one out, uh, take him down, and then just work him into exhaustion. Uh, Abdurakhimov does not have the gas tank. Why is my email going off like crazy? Nobody emails. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Um, Abdurakhimov is really just, you know, he can be taken to deep waters, and I don't think he has the gas tank for it. So I think it's cut and dry. Curtis Blades minus 485. But here's the most intriguing fight of the night, man, as far as I'm concerned, and as, as far as difficulty to call. And you may, you may disagree with me on this. Davi Ramos taking on Islam Makachev. And this one's really a stylistic conundrum to me. Islam Makachev 17 and 1, Davi Ramos 10 and 2. Ramos, obviously super BJJ savvy. Islam Makachev is a well-rounded monster, almost like a created fighter on UFC Undisputed. He's just great everywhere. But can he handle, I would say, the first six minutes of pressure from a human alligator like Davi Ramos? Uh, what, what do you think here? <laughs> well, this is the funny thing. So Islam is notorious. I mean, he's got great, great striking. But for a guy that has great striking – he ends up on the ground a lot. Yeah. And that's a big, big issue against a BJJ expert like Davi. So it, the question is, and it's the same type of thing we're going to see, obviously, with the main card with Khabib and Dustin. It's like, can he you know, dismiss the takedown? Can he stay on his feet? And can he strike? Because if he can, I mean, you even saw in open workouts, this guy is pinpoint striking. So that's what I kind of see. And I'm, I'm nervous for him to kind of stay on his feet. What are your thoughts in association to that? Yeah, I think I'm, well, I'm really interested to see what the overrun on rounds comes out at for this fight because I'm really sort of leaning the inside the distance play because I, I think one there's two different ways that this fight ends, in my opinion, is one, Davi Ramos goes for broke for the submission, gasses himself out, mm-hmm. and then Islam gets, gets him out of there. Or two, Davi Ramos yeah. goes for broke getting yeah. the submission and he actually gets it, either of which has the fight ending inside the distance. Uh, while Makachev is not known for being a finisher, Davi Ramos is not known for having a gas tank. He is as muscle bound as a, a as a guy you're going to see, um, almost like a a smaller version of, of Paulo Costa. Uh, and I'm almost you know I'm wondering once that lactic acid starts building up in those arms, those tree trunks for arms, what on earth he's going to be able to do in the later half of the fight. So if it's not done in the first round and a half uh, for Ramos and he's not able to secure that, you know, what does the the next seven minutes look like for him? Um, What I think is an interesting play here. And like you said, Makachev has a hard time not going to the ground. I would not be surprised to see Ramos attacking knees and heels. Um, Makachev is known to when he does get up, he likes to plant and just stand up almost like a Chuck Liddell style stand up from being taken down. And a guy like Ramos can transition real quickly, flip around inside and grab that leg and start, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, he's like a human crocodile, man. He will rip that leg off trying to, trying to get a hold of it. Um, it's a compelling matchup. Ramos is sitting at plus 280, Makachev at minus 340. I think this fight is a lot more dangerous uh, than the odds makers are giving it credit yeah. for. I'm really torn on this fight. Uh, I almost, I really like the inside the distance play. I don't have the odds for it to get it for the show, but I'm, 
I'm leaning towards an inside the distance play here as opposed to one fight I think, or the other. Honestly, really it's going to come down to that first fighters. round is going to be the it's going to be fireworks because just like you said, Davi Ramos's gas tanks is going to blow round two, round three. It'll yeah. go to decision after. I think honestly, after round one, we're going to decision. But if you look at round one and Davi Ramos's history, I mean, he literally shoots and I mean out. John Gunther, Nick Hine. I mean, you look down the list, the guys had rear naked chokes in the first round, like right away. Cause like you said, he'll grab that leg. He'll try and get side control, get on the back, sink in a rear naked choke round one. But if he does that, he squeeze and he can't get out of round one. That's where the gas tank goes. So fireworks in the round one. I like that inside the distance call, but oh man, I'm torn on if you were to go past that round one. Yeah. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think we're, if Ramos wins, it's in round one. If it's if it goes if it makes it outside of round one, unless Makachev, Makachev gets caught, then it's his fight to lose, and it's just going to be a matter of how aggressive does he want to be. Um, you know w- what was surprising with Makachev when we saw him most recently against uh, against Nasrat was his ability to get taken down, and if a guy like Nasrat can take him down, then Davi Ramos is most certainly going to be able to at least land one takedown and it's what can Ramos do? What can Davi Ramos do with that Mm -hmm. one takedown that he's going to get? You know, he's going to get at least that one. Can he make the most of it? Um, I, man, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling just an, all right, we're going to try this again. We just got disconnected. Thanks. Hurricane Dorian. You, uh, nature remains undefeated. Uh, Hopefully the audio isn't too screwed up here, Trey, but, I think we ended with Davi Ramos versus Islam Makachev. We're taking it inside the distance play here. That brings us to the co-main event of the evening. It is a rematch. Edson Barboza taking on Paul Felder. You know, the last fight, man, was highly contested. Each each guy thought they got en- uh, did enough to win the fight. Obviously, Barboza did enough in the judges' eyes. Barboza sitting at 20-7. and seven. Paul Felder, 16-4. and four. This is a striker's wet dream. What are you thinking here, man? I mean, great tactic by Edson in the last fight. Growing strikes, always a way to soften an opponent, am I right? <laughs> right. It softens me up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, so yeah, like you said, it's a striker's, striker's dream right here. Um, I think Edson Barbosa, it comes down to footwork. Uh, Paul Felder is not as fast on his feet. Edson can actually move around. So Paul's going to have to keep continuously hunting down Edson. And the question is, is he going to be able to close that distance and get his striking in? Or is Edson going to be able to create that distance and create some technical striking from distance, which could actually get him some points and, you know, lead to a decision in favor. That's kind of how I'm seeing it. Yeah. I'm, listen, I like, I like the momentum side uh, or the momentum on the side of Paul Felder right now. However, getting Edson Barboza at minus 55, minus 155 is, is too good to pass up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is. I know everybody, you know, sort of busts our balls about, you know, uh, who we pick and how we pick them and stuff like that. But one of the things that I really, I'm going to say time and time again, betting is a lot about value and what value you can find in somebody. And you've got Edson Barboza, who's got a win over Paul Felder already, and you're getting him at minus 155. Now, while the average low unit better doesn't see minus 155 as any any sort of value, I mean, you're getting like 50 cents on the dollar kind of deal. But if you're betting a little bit heavier, 
Edson Barboza at minus 155 is just awesome. Um, Paul Felder has a lot of momentum on his side right now. Uh, he's really sort of seems like he's re- more so than any other time feels really comfortable with himself and inside the octagon. You know, the split decision loss to Mike Perry, I thought he actually won that fight. So if you look back at the losses uh, that Paul Felder has suffered inside the octagon, you're looking at a split decision loss to Ross Pearson and then a doctor stoppage loss to Francisco Trinaldo for a cut. Outside of that, if you were to take away those two losses, you're looking at the last person to beat him was Edson Barboza in 2015. So if I'm looking at those things, do I feel like Paul Felder has gotten better since 2015 or do I feel like Edson Barboza has gotten worse since 2015? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you, what, what's your logic on that? Because I feel like Barboza is trending down and Felder in that regard would be trending up uh, because it, it wasn't that long ago. Keep in mind, it was in March when Justin Gaethje turned the lights mm-hmm. out on Edson Barboza. And I'm talking about turn the yeah. lights out. Is this too much too soon as far as we're coming back from that? I, think, I mean, you, you make the point that's out there is the leaps and bounds that Paul Felder's had in improvement has been so significant. Edson Barbosa, not that he's peaked, but the improvements haven't been as significant. Now, if you, yeah, if you look at that, the Justin Gagey thing, the guy's eyes back of his head for sure. Prior to that, though, he was really struggling with wrestling heavy guys, Kevin Lee, Khabib, like that's where he struggles. Striking is where he feels comfortable. I mean, wins over Anthony Pettis. I mean, the guy loves to stand, but, you know, again, when we look at this, Paul Felder is going to try and hunt him down, close the distance, keep in clinch. So I like Felder for, like you said, the momentum he's got. I think that if he can close that distance, he's a strong horse in this, in this race for sure. Um, but yeah, the improvement for Edson just hasn't been there recently. And, you know, let's see if travel also takes into a piece of this as well. Yeah. The other thing too, is I'm a big believer in momentum within camps too. And Rufus sport seems to not have a lot of momentum right now. Um, that they seem to be, I don't want to say listless, you know, but there, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's not as, they're not prolifically winning the way they once were. If you look at pedigree of opponent, the guys that Paul Felder has fought and the guys that Edson Barboza has fought, there's a marked difference in competition. Uh, even going back since their last fight in 2015, that trend has been trending that Barboza is fighting the best of the best, the elite of the elite, and Paul Felder is fighting guys that are outside the top 15. One thing that I do think, though, is that we're going to see another decision here. I don't imagine an, uh, a finish taking place, but we will see. All that to say, I still love Barboza, minus 155. That's great value. I'm going to be playing Barboza, minus 155. But Paul Felder is a live dog here as well. But I really genuinely believe that the most live dog that we are seeing on this entire card is this main event, Dustin Poirier versus Khabib. Dude, I, I'm just going to preface this with this. Khabib should win this fight. Khabib should win this fight. But if I'm up big on the night, I'm going to make a play on Dustin Poirier. I 
am in the same exact boat. And I'd love to disagree with you because the whole world wants to disagree with that. I mean, if you look on paper, Khabib 100% should win this fight. It's his fight to absolutely lose. But this Dustin Poirier could be his kryptonite. And first off, I got to back up and just say how excited I am for this fight. We come off UFC 241, which is fireworks. We get a week layoff going to the next UFC card, which was UFC China, which how many people woke up for that? And then now we have this in the stadium that's purpose-built, and you have literally the title unification for the lightweight title. I mean, this is going to be fireworks. And Dustin, I think a lot of people think that his technical striking is going to be a huge difference against Khabib. And he's learned from Conor McGregor's mistakes. You can't let him, while Conor McGregor had a lot of opportunities to kind of shake him off his leg, and you know he definitely, in his camp, utilized a lot of takedown defense, he didn't put his effort into the striking. And Dustin's saying, hey, I know what my A side is. I know what I'm confident in. So he's just completely trying to capitalize on what his main tool in his arsenal is. Yeah. I, so here's the thing. Man, there's so many different angles. I mean, this it's funny that Poirier's nickname is the diamond because there's a million different facets to this fight that are, are that are just really pouring out storylines to me and one of which and I've hinted on this before um is that you know having children affects fighters different ways right so like I think Dustin Poirier is the exact embodiment of how once you that, that or not once you but certain people are able to tap into a, an idea ideology if you will or a, uh just this power that's bigger than themselves right and for Poirier that's his community, that's his charity, and more so, it's his wife and kid. And since that, right, like since having a kid, he has become like a different level of fighter, right? And this is nothing against Cub Swanson because Cub Swanson's one of my favorite fighters ever, but it's had the exact opposite effect on Cub. Once Cub started having kids, he sort of lost that killer instinct, if you will, hasn't won a fight since. But Poirier, since having a kid, has been unstoppable. He's been a world beater. So this ability to tap into something larger than yourself and really believe in, you know, destiny, the universe, fate, whatever it may be, is sort of driving this vehicle that is, you know, bringing us to this head-on collision of two absolute monsters in Khabib versus Poirier. I know everybody loves the idea of Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. I think that people that are sleeping on Poirier in this fight do so at your own peril. There is something real and live and tangible to the energy that Poirier is bringing to this fight. And if Khabib is overlooking Poirier, he's in for a rude, rude awakening uh, come Saturday night, man. I'm really intrigued by Absolutely. This. And I think... You said it right there. I always get nervous with fighters that forecast fights outside of the one that they're just about to have. And if you've watched yes. all the media prior to this fight, it is not so much been Khabib talking about Dustin. It's been talking about, you know, dropping the allegations of Conor McGregor, but more so, hey, the real important, most important fight in the lightweight division is versus Tony Ferguson. And when you're thinking that far ahead and you're not looking at what's right in front of you, that's when you become vulnerable. And Dustin Poirier, while he's, of course, had to be via media obligations talk about Tony Ferguson, he's been pretty true to talking about Khabib in this fight coming up on Saturday. Yeah, no, yeah, he absolutely has. 
One of the, th- you know, especially with big main events like this, I like to point out where I think guys are going to have success at. Obviously, there's no, there's no secret to the game plan of Khabib. And I think that Khabib is going to be more wrestle heavy in this fight than he is even in the Connor fight. Um, I don't see, we'll, I don't think we will see the breakup in action that we saw in, you know, sprinkled in the Connor fight where Khabib was willing to stand and allow Connor to throw a little bit. I don't believe that Khabib will allow Dustin the same courtesy here because if, you know, and I believe him to be a very fight intelligent fighter or high fight IQ uh, individual here is that he knows that Dustin's going to get stronger as the fight goes on. So whereas that's not been the case with Connor, um, Khabib obviously doesn't have or didn't have to worry rather about Connor getting stronger as the fight went on. He has to worry about that with Poirier. So I think his approach will be that of, I need to take as much life out of this guy as fast as I can. Uh, So I don't think we'll see the same courtesy of standing there, hanging out, wanting to sort of faint and work our way in this, that, and the other, uh, trying to get Dustin to throw hands. What I do think that where Dustin's going to have success or could have success is if you watch the very first round of the Conor Khabib fight, that very first shot that Khabib takes, right? I think Dustin's scrambling ability is much better than Connor's. I think his ability to get up from takedowns is much better than Connor's. Uh, but what I think is going to benefit him, and hopefully he does this, is he takes advantage of those wrestling exchanges to actually strike a little bit. Connor was so worried about pushing the head down that he didn't take advantage of opportunities to throw elbows, small fists, something to give Khabib something to think about to switch his head position. He literally was just letting Khabib choose his head position, choose his arm position, and then just trying to defend from there. I think Dustin has to be proactive in his takedown defense, try to chain together some escapes and make Khabib work. He's Mm got to make him work. If he doesn't and allows Khabib to dictate pace, it's going to be, it's going to be a long night. Yeah, absolutely. And you said it perfectly in the fact that that's what Connor did that first strike in the first round. He almost mocked him with that, with that over or that, that left, that straight left. He clipped him. He kind of mocked him, walked to him, you know, very slowly. Dustin's not going to do that. He's not going to let a second go by. He's going to rush, take advantage, try and take it down to the ground, get some ground and pound or whatever it is. He's going to literally capitalize when he ever, when he clips Khabib, it's not going to be a wait and mock. It's going to be, I need to get this done right now. And I think the great thing for Dustin is he's had fights to review like Connor and I mean, every other fight that he's had to really see, Hey, what's going to work within my benefit? What do I need to capitalize and how can I get this done as quickly as possible? Because if it does get in the later rounds, which you said, I think Dustin has a great gas tank, but Khabib can wear you down and that wrestling just drains. That's a totally different type of round three, round four than a normal, you know, title fight. This guy will drain your energy. Yeah. Yeah. I th- and here's the thing about Poirier that also, I mean, you know, Max is known for his gas tank and he took Max deep water. Max took him to deep water, which was, I just watched that fight again yesterday just to sort of get myself back in the frame of mind of what Poirier is capable of. And man, what a great fight him versus Max Holloway was. If you haven't seen it, guys, go back and rewatch that. I believe UFC actually has it on their YouTube channel for free right now. You can go ahead and watch it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's going to be a thing where this is Khabib's fight to lose. Uh, it's absolutely Khabib's fight to lose. A couple of different things that I'm looking at as far as playing this fight. For, you know, so if you, got, if you, if you have a good parlay going... Uh, 
All right, guys, Dorian just struck again. We're losing internet. All right, I'm going to wrap this thing up, put a bow on it. Like I was saying, I'm going to put Poirier probably in a parlay or two. I'll have those parlays on Instagram, and then I'll probably hedge with a Khabib bet. Uh, if need be, that way we can sort of guarantee some profit on the night in regards to that. Poirier is a live dog. That's what I want the takeaway to be from this breakdown. Poirier is a live dog here. Um, you know, it's not a Andy Ruiz... Anthony Joshua style live dog, uh, which I think they said on the, uh, I think some, somebody used the, on the Florian, uh, Anakin Florian podcast used that analogy, but it's not necessarily that level of live dogish, uh, but Poirier has got a real chance here. But I really think that just Khabib stylistically is a terrible matchup for him. But there are spots where Dustin can win this fight. And maybe he will, man. Maybe he will. There's another fucking email. Just throw it. Just add it on there, man. Just add them all on there. It doesn't matter. Just whatever. It's 11 emails, three power outages. This, this is a... Uh, Hopefully the, hopefully the pay-per-view is better than my ability to try to cobble this, this episode together this week, dude. No, it's, it's all good. But regardless, hey, thanks for having me on. You know, it's so funny. When we were going through these picks, I was thinking in my mind, I can't wait to debate. Because sometimes I debate, but I end up going with your picks anyways because I like to make money. But this time I was like, I'm just going to smash him. I'm going to Khabib smash this full of cash right now. <laughs> and that didn't happen. I ended up agreeing with you. So I almost feel defeated, but I like what we had said, and I like what's actually going to be put out there in the universe. So... Again, thank you for having me on. Of course. So for those that aren't initiated, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but I'm gonna, I want to give you your moment in the spotlight here. Um, so, guys, if you don't listen to Proper Punches, you definitely should. Um, but we've, we've promoted them on the show before. Continue to do so. But where we exist in one lane, like say we're the right arm of the body, Proper Punches is the left arm of the body, uh, which you cover... UFC news, UFC gossip, and you know you also sprinkle a little 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 bit of one of my favorite pastimes into it, which is drinking as well. So you sort of meld this environment together. Uh, while we like to bet on the fights, you do a great job of bringing up everything else that happens one when two guys are sitting on you know on a bar stool watching a fight together. You bring the booze, you bring the backstory, you bring the gossip. We just bring the bets. So, I mean, tell me, so just, you know, here's your moment in the sun, man. Sort of, you know, what's, what, what else uh, does Proper Punches have going on? Where can you be found? All that kind of good stuff. You know, Proper Punches was created because I've always said this, and I say this on pretty much every single episode, the fact that what happens outside the octagon is sometimes just as important as what happens inside the octagon. You think about fighters and what's going on in their personal life. These guys have a lot of things going on in their lives, and that can weigh a ton on a fighter, whether that's what's going on from a marital aspect or finances or you know just random shit that they get encompassed in. All that can weigh into a fighter's mentality going into that fight. So proper punches was created in the fact of, hey, the quote-unquote gossip that we bring to the table could impact your guys' betting. So like Dale just said, we act as one part to also take into consideration what you believe you should bet on based on what's going on outside that octagon. So we throw back some drinks, we talk a little bit of you know gossip in TMZ-esque fashion, and then we send you on your way over to Fistful of Cash to obviously make your picks and make some cash. So we work in one facet, but one that we believe is really vital and one that's super entertaining to share with you guys. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I really do enjoy your format. I love the show itself. Let me ask you something about, you know, you're talking about out state or outside the octagon um, sort of theatrics, if you will. You know, the, the breaking news today, and we were talking about it before we, went, we hit record, it looks like BJ Penn's done, um, especially, you know, at least inside, as far as the UFC run goes. Uh, I have, you know, Soup has met BJ. Um, I've interacted with BJ online a little bit before, read his book. Uh, you know, up until very recently, Guy has been, um, you know, sort of, as far as fighters go, man, I mean, he's been amongst my favorite, um, and, you know, both inside the octagon and out, but it really feels like he has, the last five years or so, have really just sort of, things have really taken a turn. Um, what are your thoughts with what lies next for the prodigy? Yeah, it's, it's super sad, and you can make fun of BJ all day long for the instances he's been involved in, whether that was the brawl outside the strip club or the most recent one in front of the Lava Shack on the Big Island, but, you know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, weighing on his mind right now. He's in the middle of a custody battle, um, and you think when you're in the middle of a custody battle, you want to keep your, your nose as clean as possible, but when you have agitators, you're, you know, you're a big marquee person walking around a small island, you know, a lot of people want to jump in and create some havoc, and, you know, that's what we most recently saw. I was shocked uh, that Dana White just announced what he's going to do. I mean, this has been out there for a couple of weeks now. Uh, Brett Okamoto obviously interviewed him over in Abu Dhabi, and he said he's done. That's a wrap. We're out of pretty much like what he did with Cyborg. We're out of the BJ, you know, the, the BJ world. So, you know, hopefully this isn't a financial thing. I would, I'd be really, really downtrodden to see him go over to Bellator or, you know, some other promotion just to make some cash. He's made a staple. Hopefully everyone can remember him from the good days. Um, but yeah, just a super, super sad bummer. Let me, so let me add just a, a quick opinion piece on this because I, I have, I have, I have a very love-hate relationship with Dana White in this regard is that you see a guy like BJ, you see what he's done for your promotion to grow your promotion back when it was trying to become a household name, right? Uh, welterweight champ, lightweight champ, um, you know, that one of the first guys to do that, right? Um, you, you see him in that, it wasn't necessarily the dark ages of the UFC, but uh, pre-ultimate fighter every in every household on Spike TV sort of, that era, so we're we're in that weird little gray era, um, where he's really being dominant, and he does all these things, and he's helping grow your promotion, right? And then he hasn't been uh, the marquee name in the money era that we're in now. But has anything that BJ has been a part of outside the octagon that is causing him to get cut now? Is it anything that's better or worse than we see with guys that continually seem to get a pass? like a John Jones, like a Conor McGregor more recently, um, you know, a lot of these guys are getting passes where they're just like, oh, okay, well, they'll, they'll, they'll square it away, and then they'll be back when they're back. You know, you're just letting BJ go. Now, I, I, granted, he's lost seven in a row. He should have been cut a long time ago. But where does the grace start, and where does the grace stop? Because getting into a fight with a fat guy outside of a bar is hardly running through a stop sign, smashing into a pregnant lady, then fleeing the scene of an accident. And it's hardly punching an old man in the face or throwing a dolly through the window of a bus and, you know, pretend, you know, almost 
really like blinding Ray Borg, um, you're at least putting yourself in the position to. I don't necessarily know where one starts and one stops outside of the money. So what are your thoughts on mm -hmm. that? Yeah, you know, and Dana White said it, and he's been very candid about that, that he has a soft spot in his heart for, I mean, look at Diego Sanchez, for instance. You know, now Diego's had a couple of wins here and there, but Diego essentially has a card that he can fight till he's seven years old. Anyone right. that was part of that Ultimate Fighter 1 class essentially is going to get a pass through and through their entire life. Now, the problem with BJ, though, is while BJ built this promotion up, He's not marketable anymore. Unfortunately, yeah. people like Conor McGregor and John Jones, they're very marketable. They've attracted new and youthful sponsors. I feel like I'm talking Happy Gilmore, but literally, that's what they have done. They've brought in big, big sponsors. They are marketable. They have businesses outside the octagon that are flourishing. So it's very attractive for the UFC, who's not only trying to be, cater to you know, a fan like you and myself, but you know the casual fan as well. And BJ really just doesn't have that you know wherewithal he doesn't have um he just he's he's not going to be able to cater to that many different types of uh, walks of people so that's the big issue gotcha so it's like they used to say back in the day if it don't make money it don't make sense Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, that's we'll, we'll end it on that note because I have a feeling Mother Nature is about to whip out her tit again and, and cut the power out. I don't want to do this. Um, uh, you know, it's already going to be a little bit much trying to get all these wrapped together. So how can people connect with you and where can they find you at? So Proper Bunches is on all plat uh, all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you guys utilize. Definitely check out our Instagram app, Proper Punches. Um, we try to make it a very uh, user-engaged platform, a lot of discussion, and obviously try and bring you guys the you know the most up-to-date, urgent news that's happening outside the octagon. We've been known to be called as the View for Dudes. I'm not again. I don't know if I I'm happy with that, but uh, you know that's a good way to actually kind of frame a reference as to what proper bunches is. All right. So they can find you on all platforms and then it's, you're active. I mean, like you said, you're active on Instagram as well. All right. Well, that's about it guys. We'll go ahead and wrap this up. We'll talk to everybody uh, this weekend on social media. If I don't talk to you on there, we'll talk to you next week. We're going to recap UFC 242 and then we're looking forward to the uh, cowboy and Gaethje fight coming up next, man. Uh, what a, mm -hmm. what a warrior. Cowboy is, man, just stepping in there with the, the great white shark himself, Justin Gaethje. I am so pumped for that fight. Uh, but, yeah, that's about it. Uh, we'll talk to everybody on social media. If we don't talk to you then, we will.